you for tuning in to this episode of Incredibly Human. The point of Incredibly Human is to have meaningful conversations about life and ourselves, who we are, what we've experienced, and what we're capable of. We're here to share stories and ideas and celebrate good causes. We hope you gain something along the way. Enjoy this episode. Welcome to the Incredibly Human Podcast. We are doing a Zoom again, and today I have with me Feta. Feta is a respiratory therapist. She actually worked with my wife. My wife, Callie, calls her her work mom. Aw. <laughs> so welcome Hello, to Callie. the podcast, Feta. Thank you. Um, so yeah, you're a respiratory therapist, and this is primarily a respiratory virus. So RTs like yourself have really been crucial to this pandemic. What is a typical day for you? Um, I generally work ICU or emergency room, um, getting my assignment, and then going and checking on my... They're usually ventilators or airbows. Um, I would say 100% of my patients right now are COVID patients on ventilators or on a high flow oxygen, which is a really high flow oxygen. It's something that you couldn't do at home or even at a rehab or LTAC. It's only available at a higher level of care. What is your role specifically with COVID? Like what are what are you there to do for these patients specifically? We'll say, say like a patient comes from the emergency room. He'll come in and say the patient's saturation is low, which is generally very common with COVID. Um, their oxygen saturation is low. I'll put them on a, the high flow oxygen and then I'll tell them that they have to prone and proning is flipping up on their flipping on them on their stomach and they have to stay there for 10, 15, 20 hours a day. I only allow them, I generally tell them they're only allowed to flip over if they need to eat or use the restroom. Mm -hmm. If they're on a ventilator, it's a different story. We will intubate the patient, which is putting a tube down their throat and breathing for them. When they're intubated with COVID, we generally prone them while they're with a tube down their throat. So we tape the tube and then it'll take five or six of us, one or two RTs, five nurses, and we flip the patient on their belly while they're intubated, sedated, paralyzed. Manage their ventilator for the rest of the day, make sure they're getting enough oxygen and just taking care of their respiratory needs otherwise. Patients who are really critical that end up in the ICU, their lungs just are not functioning in the way that they're supposed to be. So then it becomes yes. very paramount that you um, pretty much are breathing for them. I mean, that's essentially what a ventilator is. And so the proning is is basically to relieve pressure from the lungs and actually it just it targets different alveoli it targets different areas of lungs so that we're getting so we're able to oxygenate in all areas as opposed to standing sitting up or just on their back you're not targeting all the areas so when you're flipping them on their stomach you're getting better oxygenation more oxygen to the different alveoli and different areas of the lungs what are your patients experiencing I think my patients, for the most part, this round is shock. Besides, I think people that have been affected by COVID seriously or uh, severely had any had any concept of how bad it is. You know, for the first go around or second go around, let's say till January, it was predominantly older people. So let's say older people are 60, 70, 80 that were dying. And so people were, or were getting severely ill. So you know, people are like, oh, well, you know, it's older people. Well, now it's these younger people and they're getting so sick. They're shocked at how bad it was. Like there was no concept or no idea how bad it really is and how badly it could affect them. 
So you're, is that the main difference you're seeing from this way versus the last one is it's hitting younger people? It's hitting younger people. They're getting sicker faster. It just came like I was on vacation in June, in August, came back and the IC was full. I know for a time we didn't have any patients with COVID and then it just, it came, it comes on faster. They're much younger. I mean, the first round, I never saw a patient in their twenties intubated or someone pregnant. Mm-hmm. That never happened, but now with they're very young, and also the the mood is different. Mm. Uh, patients are more angry. The public is a little bit meaner. Whereas the first round, we were like the heroes, and everyone mm. was like, "Thank you," and they were bringing us food. And that's what I need food. But right. now it's more of a you're trying to kill me. Like you, do you really need to put me on a ventilator? You're trying to kill me. So it's just a different. It's a different mood. Different mindset. Um, yeah. Total uh, different. We did a podcast with Olivia and she said the same thing. She said that that was one of the most frustrating things that she was experiencing was the patient's families and just how, you know, it's almost like y'all are enemies that they're seeing y'all as, as the reason why they're sick or something. Oh yeah. A hundred percent. It's almost like it's, we're making it up and I feel this feeling from them or this, they've said it like we're not giving them the care they need or we're, we're withholding care, which is totally not what's going on at all. What, what are they suggesting that you're withholding? That we could save them like an ECMO bed or, you know, they'll suggest uh, different medicines that mm-hmm. aren't, you know, proven or did you give them vitamin C? Did you mm-hmm. give them the ivermectin? Did you try ECMO? Did you call, you know, Alaska for an ECMO bed? Mm-hmm. Whereas we've, we've tried every single resource everything possible. Mm-hmm. And that we, we do that for every single patient. It's not right. something that we don't want to see anyone die. I don't want to see anyone die. I'm sick of seeing people die. Yeah. I don't know. I, you know, cause a lot of these, and we're going to get to that is, is really who is this crowd now? You know, um, it's from what I understand, it's mostly unvaccinated patients. Is that what you're experiencing? I have not seen a vaccinated person in ICU intubated or on high flow oxygen that was vaccinated. I have not seen one person. So this is all pretty much an unvaccinated crowd. hundred percent. I think I saw a sign that said 93% of patients in ICUs are not vaccinated. Gotcha. Are there vaccinated people dying? There probably is somewhere. I have not witnessed it. Yeah. I think Callie has had one patient in all this time period where she's had somebody who's fully vaccinated, but they ended up making a full recovery. Um, which you can't yeah. say the same thing about people who are unvaccinated. They're, you know, a lot of people who are ended up in the ICU and they're getting ventilated. They're not making the full recovery from what oh, I yeah. understand. After January, I was very, a very strong proponent of vaccinations. And um, I've gotten into many arguments about vaccinating. And one time a person told me, I think you're speaking from trauma. Like you're, you're traumatized from what you saw. And I was like, well, maybe I am. Maybe I did sign up for this vaccine without thinking of anything. Now I have the proof. Right there. I'm not seeing vaccinated patients sick. And, you know, I think that it's fair though, because I mean, whoever said that, you know, you're, you're speaking from trauma. Well, yeah. I mean, a lot of, uh, medical communities, ICU nurses, doctors, respiratory therapists, they are speaking because they're actually seeing what's happening. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's why they're such big advocates for it. I would rather somebody who's speaking you know, who's somebody who's seen it face to face, I would rather listen to what, what you have to say versus somebody who's, you know, maybe experienced COVID and had just a few symptoms Oh yeah. or, or somebody who's never had it, uh, or even people who just aren't seeing what it looks like face to face. And I've never had it. 
I've only had symptoms from my vaccines and that's horrible enough that I don't want to get COVID. You get the argument a lot that, well, there's people that survived. You only see the sick people, mm-hmm. which is true. I do see the sickest people and I haven't seen a lot of people survive. If a vaccine could save one person or one person's loved one, I would take my chances. Right. Well, and then also the fact that our ICUs are filling up again, hospitals are full, you know, the amount of death that y'all are experiencing. It's not, you know, we know the, the ratio is really low, but whenever it's such a contagious virus, um, those numbers are tallying up really, really fast. And the thing is, is that, you know, if you say the grand scheme of things, 600,000 people in America have died. I don't know the population of the U.S. It's still a lot of people. It's someone's brother. It's someone's sister. Yesterday, my my sister's husband's cousin, 26 years old, died in an event. She was a Hurricane Ida victim, wasn't vaccinated. And she went to a hospital in Destin and she died yesterday. 26 years old. She's a mother. You know, so this is a generation. Right. This isn't, yeah, she's, you know, in the grand scheme of things, it's 600,000 people a lot. No, but imagine all the families that are being hurt right by this. Where are you emotionally with this one? Um, I'm in a different place. Totally. I'm, there was someone that said something the other day about being, of having compassion fatigue. It's almost like when you see like murder every day, your response to it isn't as, oh my God, I saw that someone got murdered, mm-hmm. but it's just that it's not, I'm not having the same response anymore. When I first, well, like I say two weeks ago, I was very angry and just like, gosh, just get vaccinated. And I would never obviously tell my patients that, but now I'm more of like acceptance, like, okay, so when I'm at work, I'm going to take care of my patients. I'm going to give them a hundred percent. But once I leave work, I'm not, you know, taking them with me. I can't, I can't carry their burden. I don't stay around for FaceTime goodbyes. I don't, you know, push them to, I used to tell them, you know, tell your loved ones you love them. And I would be there. I can't, I can't be there. I'm there. When you guys want me to come intubate, I'll come and intubate. I prone my patients. I tell them they have to do this. I'm there and I speak to them because, you know, I'm not just a respiratory therapist anymore. I'm their therapist. I'm their loved one. I'm the person that has to console them. I'm the person that has to calm them down. I have to give them hope. Like I can't, you know, even if I know what's going to happen, which we always do know what's going to happen, I have to give them hope. That's all they have. If they're vaccinated or not vaccinated, and I haven't seen a vaccinated person, I have to do everything that I can because I wouldn't be able to live with myself if I didn't give them everything. Mm-hmm. Whether they decided not to be vaccinated or not, that's not my, I can't be mad at them for that. I remember early on, Callie, she would talk about kind of, uh, she, she would come home and share some of those stories where she was very, very invested in her patients. And I'm sure everybody was at the beginning. Uh, yes. That's where y'all are when it comes to the ICU as respiratory therapists, ICU nurses. You want to see these people recover. So at 100%. the very beginning of this, it, you were very, very invested in it. And she would come home and share stories about rubbing the, her patients' heads and holding their hands and doing all these things in their final moments until they, they die. That is so much to carry as a human being and to do it for going on over a year of just constantly having to do that. I mean, it's just an immense amount of responsibility um, and an emotional toll to to see every patient in that regard. I told you, I wasn't going to cry. <laughs> but she, she would describe that. And, and, you know, it was those kinds of moments that really made me want to advocate for her and advocate for y'all and advocate for vaccines and stuff because she would share just how, how deeply, you know, she felt in those moments. 
but now she's, it's the same thing that, that emotional fatigue, that compassion fatigue where you just cannot, you can't be that person anymore. No, no. You know, that's heartbreaking in itself because now you have patients who are, you know, I I remember early on I was encouraging Callie, like, you know, you're going to be the last person these people see, you know, as difficult as that is, you get to kind of be something for them in those last moments. But we can't keep asking her to do that. You know, I can't keep asking her to do that. Um, So now you have a lot of these patients who are just dying in a very cold and kind of bitter, distant way because you can't, you can't be that person. You got to take care of yourself too. And even if you can be that person, how many patients can you be there for when it's a, we're not at capacity, we're over capacity. So even if I want to be that for that, for that person, I can't, if I have another person crashing in the other room. So how much can we do? Mm -hmm. Um, Even if we want to, going back to that conversation I had, people don't know the trauma we saw. There's no way you could explain what we saw. And it's not anyone else's fault that they didn't see it. But like you said, they should believe us. Um, My husband, a couple of days ago, he's like, you know what? The only reason I got vaccinated was because I knew how much it affected you. And I think if everyone thought about how much we're getting affected, the people that that you want to take care of you, maybe they would want to take the vaccine. Maybe they would want to change, want to help the situation. Yeah. And that's just the, I think the other frustrating part is, you know, we're not, we're not really listening to this side of COVID. Um, We kind of want to, we want to block that out of our mind. Um, I've had multiple people, especially when I've talked about vaccines who have said, you know, I feel for Callie. I'm sorry that she's going through this, but you know, and they kind of continue on with the reason why they don't believe in vaccinations or want to get vaccinated. I'm sorry that she's experiencing that. That sucks. People dying, you know, sucks, but here's why I don't want to do it. And so it's like people just, they're not, they're not truly understanding what it is that y'all are seeing and experiencing on an intimate level. And because they're not seeing that and they're not experiencing it, it's very easy for them to just put up a wall, a barrier and a structure to say that, well, y'all guys are going through this. I don't entirely know what it is. I'm sure it's heartbreaking, but this is why I don't want to get a vaccine. And then they have a million reasons why they don't want to get vaccinated. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And there's so much, um, and I think this is probably the worst part of it all is the mistrust. Mm-hmm. Um, scientists, medical people, we have no agendas. We're not here to be voted. We're not voted into anything. We're not elected officials. We're just here to take care of people. Right. So we have no agenda. And I think the mistrust is I think what kills us the most. And I think that's what hurt, it hurts me the most. Like mm-hmm. to hear someone say, you just want to put my dad on the ventilator for $10,000. Really? What's $10,000 when you split it around everybody? It's right. It's like ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And the claims that you hear is just, it's, it's character attacks. And I don't want anything from you. I don't want money. Mm-hmm. You getting vaccinated is not going to change my life. My whole family's vaccinated, but I don't want you to die. I don't want to see right. you in a bed and I see you. I don't want to see you in my ICU. Well, it's also difficult because money is a lot of what um, is being offered to medical staff because of how short staff you are. That's the only thing that hospitals can actually offer to entice you to come pick up extra days. Because otherwise, mm-hmm. why would you? Why would you want to exactly. come to this five days a week or even four days a week? But that's all they have. That's the only power they have over you is, hey, we're going to pay you a lot of money if you continue to come into work. Oh, yeah. And then a lot of people on the outside just feel like, oh, you guys well, are you're getting paid. Right. Yeah, exactly. You're getting paid. But 
you know, the hospital has a job to take care of patients, mm-hmm. to make sure that their staff are the patients. So, I mean, I'm not going to go in to be traumatized and have to pay for therapy bills mm-hmm. or nothing. You know, there has to be a, there has to be a reason for me to go in. I think we've come to the point that most healthcare workers, there's no amount of money that'll take a, make us come back in. Like I used to work like during January, in January, I would show up and I would go in at that point for my teammates, mm-hmm. you know, at that point we weren't even getting extra money, not January earlier, but I worked like one day, one stretch, nine days. And I got a day off and they were short and I went in when I got the phone call at that point, you're just moving on adrenaline and there's no amount of money that's really worth it, but there's no way I could do that this time. There's just no way. There's no way that we could even keep it up. I mean, we're so short staffed and mentally just fatigued. There's no way we could keep this level of work up. It's almost two years. So even money, it won't at one point it'll break. Well, I mean, that's, again, that's, that's really all they have to offer you. What else are they going to offer you? I mean, it's exactly. the only thing. And so that money just keeps going higher and higher. And you're seeing some of these crazy amounts that people are getting paid, but that's because of how desperate they are. And oh, that yeah. should also speak to it is just how desperate hospitals are, how desperate, how low staff they are. And that's kind of my next question, because a lot of people are blaming the mandates and stuff for um, reason why we're short staff in, in the medical field. Do you know a lot of people who are just that don't want the vaccine? I knew a couple. I haven't really like honestly. I'm I'm not a confrontational person. I try not to confront people on people's beliefs, um, especially being a visible Muslim. Mm-hmm. Um, I try not to confront people. Everyone, it's personal. But I did know two or three that weren't vaccinated, and I had a conversation with one of them. Hers was is that she, you know wanted to have babies and she was worried about it. So I never really spoke to her about it. She had mentioned it to me. I never confronted her on the issue, mm-hmm. even though I do strongly believe in them and on, on my social media, my personal life. Yeah, I was very vocal about it, but at work, you know, it's just a different ball game. Anyhow, when we, before the hospital mandate came through or that they were being forced to vaccinate in certain hospitals, she vaccinated when she started seeing patients that weren't vaccinated. And honestly, I respect her a lot for that decision because, you know, maybe she was leery about it and maybe I am traumatized and I signed up for something because I just want something. I want it to end, Mm -hmm. you know, she vaccinated when she saw that it didn't work. Um, I don't think personally speaking, I've seen a lot of people leave because they didn't want to get vaccinated. I haven't seen it, Mm -hmm. but I don't know if there is. I think a lot of people have left bedside because they can't handle the trauma. Mm-hmm. I, I haven't seen anyone because of being vaccinated. Right. I'm not bringing that up to pose the question of us versus them and anti-vaccinists no. and other stuff. I'm posing it because that's what a lot of people are saying is that um, because the mandates, people are quitting like crazy. And that's why we're short staffed when no, from what I true. heard and what I've understood, it's nothing like that. It's actually we're short staffed just because there's so many patients. And then on top of that, you have people who are leaving who are just completely burnt out and are exhausted. And they're also making decisions that are best for them and their families. Exactly. I, I think there's three issues while we're a uh, short staff. First reason, I think that people are fatigued. Mm-hmm. People are tired. People are leaving bedside. Two, I believe there's a lot of options for money at different states, agencies paying crazy amounts of money. So, you know, if I could leave, I have three kids and a husband. If I could leave and bounce and go make, you know, thousands of dollars a week. Yeah, I would do it too. And lastly, I think we're just too full. There's no way we could keep up with this amount of patients. Whenever you're having these discussions about this, you know, hot topic stuff, there's a lot of things that are said and it creates a lot of, again, mistrust. 
Um, it, it creates a, a certain narrative. And right now the vaccines are a hot topic. We're not here to really go over all that stuff. I just really want to hear what you guys are experiencing and, and where you're at right now compared to where we were a year ago. Because like you said, the hospitals were empty for a little bit and it was like, we're done. It's smooth selling. We're so nice. I like my job again. Yeah. And now it's come back in a full wave. And so you're, you're seeing it all again. I would like to say one thing, um, you know, in Texas schools, public places can't be mandated, can't mandate mm-hmm. masks anymore. And, um, last year, my son's school district, we got an email, you know, masks aren't mandated. And so we got an email recently that they are making school masks man- mandatory and, uh, you could, uh, opt out, fill out a form. The comparison was that last year, the school had 371 positive cases district uh, throughout the whole school year and masks were mandatory. No, no. They had 540 the whole year. And this year in two weeks, we've already had 371 cases of COVID in two weeks because there's no masks. So it's like, it's kind of a cycle that's making it worse and worse. We're not wearing masks. We're not getting vaccinated. We're seeing more patients. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. I don't know how we're going to end this. Yeah. And that's kind of where the conversation has been with Callie and it's been with Olivia when we had our podcast was, you know, it was just kind of like, well, we're, we're talking about it. I don't know how to get past it because I think really it's just going to come down to people experiencing it uh, themselves. And then once they experience it themselves, that's a lot of people you got to go through. It's a lot. I think um, it's a very selfish, and this is my opinion, it's a very selfish thing right now to not get vaccinated, to not wear a mask. And this is my logic. I was thinking about it as I was folding laundry. You know, in Islam, and I'm sure in Christianity, there's a saying or a prophetic saying that says, you can't go to heaven until you like for your neighbor what you like for yourself or your brother. I'm not saying it correctly. If you want your brother to live or your mother-in-law to live or your sister to live, you're going to do whatever it is to keep them safe. Mm-hmm. So if you want to see your kids grow up, you don't want your kids to be orphaned. This is what it is. It's, it's we're all equal here. We're not, it's not the other person's disease. Mm-hmm. It's not AIDS where if you have, you know, unprotected sex or shared needles, or it's not something that we can't get. It's something that we're all, it's the great equalizer. We could all get it. We could all die from it. Yeah. I think well said, you know, we can say it that way, but it's very hard for people to, to come to that, that mindset of, of just uh, protecting your neighbor, because we yes. are so divided. And I think it falling on an election year was just like the worst thing possible. Because oh, we, sure. we were already very split in terms of where we are in terms of politics and stuff. But yeah, I think right now it's, it's we're, we're not seeing that. We're not having that empathy for our fellow neighbor and our family members. Not at all. Yeah. Not at all. And I think it's going to get to that point. We're going to stay here. Yeah, it's going to be a, a long thing until it's it's made its round, I guess. I appreciate you being here with me. Thank you so much. Yeah, you had a lot of good things to say, and I really hope that things turn around again. I, I'm I'm running out of encouragement, even for Callie and, and people, <laughs> because it's like, you know, I, I thought we were, it was just hold off until we get a cure or we get something that fixes it. And now it's, it's, it's a whole nother battle. So it's very hard to encourage people, but I really hope that, you know, you guys hang in there and, you know, we, we get through this. We All we right. Will. Well, I, I appreciate it. Thanks for being Thank here. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye. Bye. 
thanks again for tuning into this conversation. Remember, we're human. We're imperfect, but we're also capable of doing incredible things. We hope you take the time to reflect on this last discussion, that it moves you in a better direction with your life. What can we learn from these stories and these ideas? How can it help impact our lives in a better way? Life is short. Make the most of it. Be involved in the goodness of life. You can make a big difference by finding a cause on our website and giving a little time, money, and energy into something good, something positive and important. To be human means we're imperfect, but it also means taking part in making the world a better place. Thank you.